When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold-weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison here as always, and we have playoff football to break down. And I want to start off by saying never a doubt for my lock of the week last week, which was the Jaguars winning against the Los (laughs) Angeles Chargers. I'll tell you uh, what uh, my night like was, was like on Saturday. So I start out watching the game and I was going to meet a friend and I jumped in an Uber, and by the time I got to the restaurant, it was 17 nothing, And we were going to go watch the game together. And I was like, uh, I guess we're going to have to really have some good conversation <laughs> because we won't be watching this game together or paying attention at all really closely. So we're kind of chatting and eating and whatever else. We're looking up, and then, okay, a touchdown, and we're looking up. There's another touchdown, and all right. And there was a couple of ladies in the place who were going nuts for the Jaguars with everything they did. I mean, they were like screaming and hollering and everything else. I mean, maybe they were big Jags fans visiting from Jacksonville in Minnesota, or I don't know. Usually it works the other way around. But uh, so then as they started to come back and come back, it was like, this is going to happen. We've got a game. And then, of course, when Jacksonville finished it off, I texted never a doubt to Jonathan that my lock of the week was going to come to fruition. So we'll try again for this week. I was pretty certain I was about to look really ridiculous, but uh, we, I I nailed it. I nailed it. So I knew all along that uh, there would be a 27 points blown lead. Um, Jonathan though, I will say you have to get credit though, because last week you were extremely harsh on Brandon Staley. You were hammering him. And I was like, I don't know, man. And I, I I have a friend who works for the Chargers who had texted me like, hey, man, like, I don't like your pick, your lock of the week or whatever. Like, come on. And I was like, I know. I think we really gave it to Brandon Staley. Hard to deny now, though, Jonathan, after that yeah. performance, that your critiques were absolutely correct. I mean, as I texted you that night, it's kind of a bunt single with how things have been going with Brandon Staley since – what that Steelers game at the end of, or not the Steelers, the Raiders game, I believe at the end of last season, when he calls the timeout as it looks like it's going to go to a tie and they're both just going to back their way into the playoffs. And the Raiders like, okay, fine. We'll just kick the field goal and win and move on to the playoffs. And you'll just go home. And it seems like it's just gone downhill for Brandon Staley ever since. And yeah, it's, I mean, we're looking good now, especially with the Trevor Lawrence take that we had a couple weeks ago. And now he, he sparks that comeback. Although those those four quarters, the first two quarters of that game and the last two quarters of the 49er Seahawks game looked like it was just going to be, oh man, this is going to be a miserable wild card weekend. Just not the start you wanted, two blowouts, and then then the Jaguars and Doug Peterson redeem it all. What a roller coaster of emotions just both games were yes. because at the beginning of 49ers and Seahawks, Brock Purdy looked a little sketchy and you're like, oh, okay, Seahawks, I see what you're doing. And then it just all came apart because the 49ers are vastly more talented yep. than the scrappy Seahawks. And I guess it was fair for people to wonder if Detroit had gotten in, like, would they have been able to put up a better fight? The answer is probably a better fight, yes, but they were not beating that just just house that is the 49ers. They might be good at every single position on the field. Uh, maybe a corner they're a little bit weak, but aside from that, I mean, they have pretty much everything. A good offensive line, a quarterback who's playing great, 
the best play caller in the NFL, receivers all over the place. And if Brandon Ayuk had held on to the one pass from Brock Purdy, they had a Mahomesian moment there as well, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting because Purdy's showing a little bit of playmaking. When you think of a third-string quarterback, seventh-round pick, you think, well, the guy's going to have to be a game manager. But he was kind of a playmaker at Ohio State. He had to – or I'm sorry, Iowa State – uh, sorry, Cyclone fans. Iowa State. <laughs> he had to run around a lot in that offense and make some plays, and you know he's brought that to the 49ers as well. And maybe a little risk-taking. We'll talk about that game a little bit later, but it was kind of crazy because then they get blown out. The start of the other game is terrible. And like, oh, man, we talked about this last week, like how miserable it would be if wildcard weekend wasn't good. It certainly was good. So let's get to it here. I want to know the winners and losers, but of course not – like the winners and losers uh, of the actual teams. We already know that, but I want you to tell me the individual winners and losers who disappointed the most, who became the king in wildcard weekend, individual winners and losers, Jonathan. I'm going to start off with the positive here, the winners. And it's weird to say this because he threw four first half interceptions, but Trevor Lawrence, just the ability as a young quarterback to kind of just shove all that to the side, the first half, and throw four touchdowns, I believe it was, to lead your team to a comeback win in such a big moment. You have all that pressure. Like the energy and the oxygen was just sucked out of Jacksonville after giving up 27 points, and he just rallied his team. And I guess another winner would be Doug Peterson as well. Just one of the ballsiest fourth down calls we've seen, and we know he does that. We know he has that in the bag. And just putting three men in the backfield and just running it out wide, that's one hell of a play call just to call in that moment when you need a first down and he just runs it and everybody expected him to run it, but up the middle, not out wide and he gets it and converts and they go on and win the game. Those were two of my winners, Uh, my losers. And this will be an obvious one for Minnesota, Ed Donatel. I mean, just, just a miserable performance for the Vikings defense. And yes, it's not all on him. There's a lot of players that should get the, the call here as well, but Once again, the Vikings defense makes another average quarterback look outstanding and impeccable. Daniel Jones was running and passing all over the field on Sunday. And it didn't even, it wasn't like a narrow win for the Giants. This was a runaway win and the Vikings just held on because Kirk Cousins, besides that last play, kept him in it for the most part. But yeah, Ed Donatello and the Vikings defense are losers. I want to say Jalen Waddell is a loser as well here because he had some incredible drops, some incredible misfortune going his way getting hit at the wrong time but every time Skylar Thompson would just throw a dime to him it seemed like the ball hit Waddle's hands and would drop at key moments and I'm not saying that's the reason the Dolphins lost 34-31 to the Bills but certainly didn't help with the amount of drops and the amount of miscatches that he that he had that day yeah I mean that uh performance by the receivers I mean maybe outside in the cold playing in Buffalo they wouldn't be (laughs) the first receivers to have some drops there but uh, right from the very outset of the game, there was a big mm-hmm. deep pass that Skylar Thompson threw right on the money that may have changed the momentum early on and had a uh, rolling effect on the entire game. But of course, the winners uh, um, just I mean, the Buffalo community deserves yeah. a, a W for this one to have a home playoff game that they might not have had to play had they beat Cincinnati to come out of it with a win even as tight as it was after all that they've been through and to put it all aside, come out, win the game. Uh, you know, I mean, I just think that it's all impressive. And I know DeMar Hamlin's doing great now and everything else, but this is a team that's had to carry a lot of weight and they are not going to have an easy path at all. I mean, they're going to have to play Cincinnati at home and then maybe if they win neutral field uh, to play the Kansas City Chiefs. It's just going to be a, an entirely crazy thing for them. But they pulled it out, though. I mean, like we saw other teams blow these leads and they made sure that they shorted up the deep ball. But, you know, just that that place after going through everything that it's gone through, mm-hmm. the storms, the shooting, everything else, to get the home playoff win, to have a chance to go to the championship game again this weekend, they are big winners for that because you could have seen the emotional letdown, the shocking loss. Like that does happen sometimes to teams that have been through a lot. And they almost let that thing get out of hand but found a way in some of the biggest moments for Josh Allen to come through, I guess, no surprise. Uh, Biggest loser is clearly Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady just like, look, if you're going to come back, then you should come back to a situation where you have a chance to win 
and if you can still play. And easy for me to say, I, you know, he made a <laughs> lot of millions in doing it, but he didn't seem like, as we have chronicled on the show all year, like he even wanted to be there. And his marriage fell apart throughout the season in part, and I know this is not my business, but in part from what it sounds like, because he decided that he couldn't step away from the game, it got to the point where it looked sad. And that's what you didn't want from Tom Brady because he almost won MVP last year. And his last throw was, wasn't that a long touchdown or something in, in the game with Tampa Bay? Like is he, that he had this big comeback and gave them a chance to beat the Rams and it wasn't his fault that they lost. That would have been a good way to go out as like you played great in the final game and almost brought your team back. And instead he just got whipped. And that Dallas defense is a house. They are a beast. I mean, as a unit, they're extremely good. Micah Parsons, though, is Lawrence Taylor. He is just demolishing people. Tristan Wirfs is one of the best linemen in the league. He is annihilating him during that game. And pressure on Tom Brady. There was nothing he could do because he's 46. And he should have just walked away. And he played really badly. I mean, he seemed like he didn't know where to put the ball. He wasn't on the same page with receivers. He wasn't able to move away from a lot of the pressure. And he's going to go down, if this is it for him, with a 8-9 and nine season and a very meek loss yeah. in the first round of this thing. I, you know, just, uh, just a bad L there. I will not say Tyler Huntley for his fumble because, look, things happen. But I will say J.K. Dobbins is one of the biggest losers of this entire week because he decided to run off at the mouth after the game, claiming that they should have given the ball to him in that instance and he would have scored. And also, if Lamar Jackson played, they would have won. You're like, okay, pal. I mean, that might be true, but Lamar Jackson was injured and apparently sick and couldn't go to the game and whatever. That doesn't matter. And might also be doing some contract stuff. I don't know. But after the game, there's always one guy every year who just makes a complete horse's ass of himself. And he decided to be that guy. That is a fine play. And, and a lot of times the quarterback and look at Trevor Lawrence reaches his hand out over. And even if it's knocked away, it's still a touchdown. He scores. That's it. It is really rare that a quarterback sneak mm -hmm. results in a fumble that's picked up and run all the way back for a touchdown. It was a shocking, absurd play and it cost them the game. It certainly did. But then to act like, oh, well, if they had only given me the ball, like, what? what? So it's like a it's like a 90 percent play. But every right. once in a while, wacky stuff happens. And of course, you know, I wouldn't just say that it was Ed Donatel. I would say the entire Vikings organization took an L because they all season long played the disrespect card. No one believes in us. Yada, yada, yada. We got you know, we're we're the team of destiny and we're clutch and all all these things. And all they needed to do really to justify what they did last off season was to just get in a game with the San Francisco 49ers with a chance mm -hmm. to go to the NFC championship game. And they would have at least justified bringing all the veterans back, bringing Kirk cousins back, all that stuff. And instead a loss where they were the worst team on the field. This wasn't a classic Minnesota loss, which I think would have made it easier for people if there was the the Tyler Huntley thing that happened to Kirk Cousins, I think everyone would have gone, oh man, like the bad luck of this game. We just had the bad bounce at the wrong time. But that wasn't the case. You were just the worst team. And yes, Ed Donatel is going to, of course, get hit with a tidal wave of criticism. But also the front office, the ownership, everybody who decided to run that thing back to lose to the Giants. And the biggest winner, I saved the absolute biggest for last, Daniel, whatever his middle name is, Jones, DJ now looks like a superstar quarterback Yeah, because his two best games were against the Vikings and his <laughs> other, and his other one was against the Colts where he played <laughs> phenomenal. And, but I, I have to give him credit though. There were wide receivers wide open all the time, but mm -hmm. he moved off of certain reads that weren't there and he escaped and he made plays and he was gutsy and the, uh, the QB sneak that he had, he kind of got folded up like a tent, but found a way to just get like a half a yard to get a first down and find a way to get a touchdown, go ahead, hold the lead. And man, even he could have had even a better day if Darius Slayton just catches the ball at the end of the game. So a huge win for him probably gets him a contract extension with a playoff win. 
And now they're going to go forward with him and Brian Dable locked at the hip, which might work for them. I don't know. I mean, uh, it might. As he gets more expensive, it might get harder. But, you know, that that guy, if he loses that game and plays terribly, then maybe they're talking about, I don't know, should we extend him? But he was flat out outstanding. So certainly Daniel Jones, one of the biggest winners. Uh, any Any of those you have any reaction to, John? Yeah, I would agree. Daniel Jones coming up, uh, what, three of his last four games of the season were massive performances for him. And as you said, they were they were great performances, yes, against terrible defenses and and what looked like bad teams at the time when they happened. But they came at the right time of the season, at the end of the season, because we always know, or we know going into the offseason, it's what you did last is going to be remembered the most. And he's going to take those wins and take those performances into the negotiating table and he's gonna say look pay me I got you to the playoffs I played well in the playoffs against the Vikings I don't care that everybody every other quarterback on the face of the planet can play well against the Vikings still played well in the playoffs you have to do it and he did it and he ran all over the Vikings played all and passed all over the Vikings I would say though we forgot one big loser here from the weekend and it kind of goes to your horse's ass comment Joey Bosa I mean he had some temper problems on the field that cost his team penalties that gave Jacksonville yards. And he's only run his mouth ever since. And it's made him look worse the entire time. I think he deserves a big, one of the biggest L's besides maybe the Dallas kicker for the weekend. But yeah, I think Joey Bosa deserves one of the biggest L's for the weekend. See, I think the Dallas kicker is one of the biggest winners because they destroyed <laughs> Tampa Bay and it didn't matter and yeah. no one will ever remember it. It'll just be like, Fair. oh yeah, they beat they beat Tampa Bay. It wasn't a game. And that guy's got a whole week to forget about that. And uh, <laughs> he's got to kick on grass again, though, against San Francisco, which we'll talk about. Joey Bo- Bosa, like um, a lot of people, has a bit of a victim complex, it seems. Um, yeah. He's the one that threw his helmet. Like... Mm-hmm. twice I think uh, and yet he said that the referees were laughing about it after the game or something not not that he heard them but he assumed that they right. were laughing as if they were out to get him specifically which makes right. no sense like you did it though um, but that's you know there's a lot of people like that with excuses in the NFL and that but that's an all-timer for sure And it's really just you blew it and you hurt your team and you won't acknowledge that because you're Joey Bosa and I wouldn't want to be around you. Uh, The other Bosa (laughs) seems to be a little bit, you know, maybe his head screwed on a little bit better. I don't know, but certainly not Joey. Um, You know, actually, I would even I would even throw in there that one of the bigger winners was actually Mike McDaniel by playing Buffalo the way that they did with their third string quarterback mm-hmm. getting it to be that close i think everyone can walk away from a very roller coaster season from miami and be like okay like they didn't get killed and that's a pretty impressive performance they made some plays on offense their defense showed up so so in in losing they were the biggest winner loser if that makes sense yeah uh all right next one is 49ers cowboys i mean this is just the uniform matchup of the decade as a nineties child, could you ask for more? It was like every NFC championship was these two teams battling. And actually the, the Cowboys made some bad Jersey choices back in the day. Remember those things with like the big star on the, on the, on the, the pad what, they or what were they doing? Yeah. What? It was like a, a, a white thing. Yeah. It was weird. It was very weird. The NFL's had some strange choices along the way, but as far as present uniforms and historical uniforms go, the best Aikman, Young, Charles Haley, Deion Sanders, T.O. playing for both teams. I mean, this is one heck of a rivalry, Jonathan. Uh, I would like to know your favorite part of the 49ers Giants, or I'm sorry, 49ers Cowboys rivalry. And is this the best game of next weekend? By the way, do we need to talk about you getting into it with the writer of Violent Night about Troy Aikman? Over on oh, Twitter this week. What did he did he say something else? Because I don't know, but that was that I was hilarious because I love that movie. And he came at you for saying Troy Aikman was good, and he's like, nah, this nah, he's trash. And just like, bro, bro. <laughs> is he is he 22? Is he 22 years old? Because if you are a child presently, then you would say things like Kirk Cousins is better than Troy Aikman. In what universe yeah. would that ever be the case? I mean, that's all, that used to be a thing a little bit with Troy Aikman uh, that 
people would be like, well, he's got a good running game. Aren't we smarter than that now? Right. I would also like you to take a look at the teams that Troy Aikman had to beat in the playoffs. If you say he had great players around him, look at San Francisco, man. Yeah. He was beating like bums. No, he was beating some of the best teams of all time, some of the best quarterbacks of all time. Let's go look at his playoff statistics. Do you realize that quarterbacks in the 90s used to not throw as many touchdown passes for all yep. you nuts who like to go to pro football reference and, and poke around with the statistics? Because they would hand off in the red zone. They, they had number one offenses every year with Troy Aikman throughout his prime. What are we doing here to try to pretend that the, the like Troy Aikman erasure? Look, it's not my favorite broadcaster in the entire world. Okay, I get it. And the Cowboys were obnoxious, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. obnoxious during that day. But anything less than this guy is one of the great quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Any opinion that's less than that is completely foolish. And there's no other take. Of that and comparing him to middling quarterbacks from 2023, <laughs> right. the guy. Look, if you were ranking quarterbacks, if you were going into a season of 1993, okay, you would have put, you know, Joe Montana, uh, of course, it's like 94, Steve Young, whatever. You know, you would have had like, let's just say 94, you would have had like Steve Young, Brett mm -hmm. Favre, Jim Kelly, Troy Aikman. I like right there, like that would have been your list every single year. To, to, to pull up 90s statistics and try to make some garbage argument about touchdown passes in comparison to how the game is played now is just complete nonsense. So, yeah, I did see that, and I just was baffled by that. I was like, I don't, what are, like how old are you? And, and it's brought up in the comment section, totally true. They used to be able to murder quarterbacks, okay? Yeah, absolutely. But Troy Aikman was probably playing half his games with a concussion. They had a great offensive line, but, you know, everyone who, like, hated the Cowboys because they got so much attention. That was their sort of weak argument against Aikman. It was like, well, he's got good pass protection. Like, okay. Well, the other team has an amazing defense in San Francisco. They had Charles Haley. They had, mm -hmm. anyway, it's just, I, I could, I could go on. Uh, and maybe I'll pull up the hall of fame monitor to show you Troy Aikman's <laughs> case for the hall of fame versus uh middling 2023 quarterbacks. But, uh, Sorry, I'd love to know to... your favorite part of this rivalry. <laughs> I didn't mean to completely set you off there. I just saw that that you were getting into it with the uh, one of the writers of Violent Night, one of my favorite Christmas movies now after it came out this year. And I thought the connection there was hilarious. Uh, favorite part of this rivalry, you can always say the catch. Uh, you can always say Terrell Owens uh, spiking the ball at the star. I think one of my favorite parts of rivalries like this are guys who switch sides in that rivalry and who who've played for both sides. You got Terrell Owens, who we famously know played for both sides. Charles Haley, as you mentioned, Larry Allen played two years for the 49ers. I think Deion Sanders is the biggest one though. He went over to the 49ers in free agency, couldn't get along with Jerry Rice and decides, you know what? I'm going to go to the rivals, the biggest rival at the time, the biggest competitor in the NFC at the time and go over to the Cowboys. And all he does is win two Super Bowls back to back and, you know, gets one over on the 49ers. I love that kind of stuff in rivalries like that, where it's guys who switch side and sides and come out the better for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, one of the great stories uh, maybe ever from the era was the Charles Haley and Steve Young talking mm -hmm. about Charles Haley, who had significant uh, mental health issues and actually got it resolved later in life. And had it been 2023, they would have been able to easily deal with it. Instead, he yeah. kind of was a tortured guy for a while. But Steve Young was like, I don't care what his problems are. You do not trade Charles Haley and you do not give him to the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. But yeah, Dion going to San Francisco, winning it in 94. Terrell Owens like playing sort of second fiddle to Jerry Rice, then ending up in Dallas. That, that made it great. To me, it was the number of Hall of Fame players on the field at the same time. And this is my point yeah. about Troy Aikman, that he was not playing a 32-team league with a salary cap situation. He was playing a good portion of his career where either free agency didn't exist at all or had just started, which meant that every team that was great was a dynasty that he had to beat to go through it. And by the way, like, yeah, the, the Hall of Fame case for – Troy Aikman, the comparable to him, because both of them had relatively short careers, but a ton of success. It's coincidentally Jim Kelly is the most comparable 
And then you have people like Warren Moon, um, you know, Bob Greasy, if you want to kind of go back. So like Troy Aikman, if he had had, I think, better health and wasn't as beat up and didn't have as many yeah. concussions, probably would have um, an even better case. But, you know, he's a pro bowler. He won the Super Bowl a bunch of times. I mean, whatever. It's he's Look at the playoff performances. But, you know, I think that just the fact that you had all those stars and you could go back and forth, like they had Jerry Rice and they had Michael Irvin and they had John Taylor a little bit before that. And then Terrell Owens after they had great offensive lines, great defensive lines, great secondaries, great running games. I mean, these were like a lot of times what the NFL becomes today is I've got these couple of stars and some draft picks who are decent enough to fill spots. And that time it was, these are all stars that are all veterans and we kept them all because our ownership could pay for them (laughs) and they could (laughs) keep them. Uh, And I think that just the talent level on the field was probably part of it. And I would also say too, after those games, I just remember, you know, whether it was Montana or whether it was Steve Young, like the way that those guys looked like the, what they had been through playing each other to get to the Super Bowl was so incredible. And of course, as I mentioned, the Jersey matchup is, is absolutely elite. Um, and, uh, you know, it has faded, of course, as the years have gone by. The Cowboys have been way less relevant a lot of times. And San Francisco kind of popped up a little bit with Colin Kaepernick, then went back down and then kind of popped back up. So it's hard to have a rivalry in the NFL, period. And let, like, oh, division, whatever. But right. unless it's Mahomes-Josh Allen, which is kind of like a Steve Young and Troy Aikman, it's just hard to get that uh, too many times in the NFL. So I think the fact that it was the, a rivalry in the absolute truest form uh, is probably my favorite part of it. Yeah, the fact that they they that the rivalry is formed not because geographical location. It's formed because they are competing at the highest level year after year after year after year. And people got sick of it who weren't fans of those teams because they were just like, can we get a different matchup? But all the every one of those games was always an epic clash between two stacked teams, as you said, uh, just the Vince Young dream teams, as he would have wanted the Philadelphia team in 2014 or whatever year it was for that to happen or 2008 for that to happen. It those teams were just as you mentioned, they were just houses. They would beat any team off the field probably today because they were more physical. And it's just they were from position one to position 52 or player one to player 52. It was essentially just an all-star. It was a loaded team, both sides, and they went against each other so many times in the biggest moments in the NFC. It, it, it's always one of the best things to see that happen year after year after year, because it's, they're always great matches and people will complain that it just gets boring after a while. How can you be bored of great matches at great football games year after year? It's, I would take that any day over just random, random teams fighting each other. It's real quick. 1992 Troy Aikman in the playoffs, 126.4 quarterback rating, eight touchdowns, zero picks, Super Bowl ring. Wow. Next year, 1993, 104 quarterback rating, average over eight yards per pass, uh, 74% completion percentage in those playoffs to win the Super Bowl against all-time great Buffalo Bills teams, which they ran out of the building. So, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give that guy some credit uh, as a great <laughs> quarterback. I mean, if you want to say Troy Aikman versus Steve Young, Oh, I think Steve Young was a better quarterback. Or if you want to say versus Brett Favre, I think Brett Favre was a better quarterback. If you want to say versus the 14th best quarterback in the NFL today, uh, no, I don't think so. No, thanks. I'm good. Trayvon wasn't uh, passing for four yards on fourth and eight with the game on the line. I thought it was like three yards, but I don't know what they gave him officially. (laughs) It's just an absurd comparison. Right, yeah. (laughs) Kirk Cousins' parents wouldn't say that he was better than Trey. Like, what? Uh, look, look, the most comparable quarterbacks to, to cousins are like, you know, Derek Carr, like uh, good, good quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, not legends of the game who wear gold jackets. Uh, all right. Next up is, uh, oh yeah. You called Brandon Staley's botch job against the Jaguars last week. And then they fired their offensive coordinator. Um, would you bet that the chargers are back here, uh, next year, getting another shot at it with Brandon Staley, since he didn't fall on the sword because they have a new offensive coordinator, which just a side note, 
They ran Austin Eckler 13 times in that game. That is insanity. That is insanity. How can you be up 27 points and give your star running back 13 carries the entire game? That is a fireable offense for Joe Lombardi. Uh, but uh, do you think next year they'll be back with Justin Herbert and a new offensive coordinator, or will they be head coach searching next year for the Los Angeles Chargers? Uh, I'm going to make this an early lock that they'll be head coach searching because that division isn't getting any easier. If the reports are to believe Sean Payton's probably going to land in Denver, so that division's only getting tougher. So it's going to be a more difficult battle for Brandon Staley and the Los Angeles Chargers to compete in that division. And the rest of the AFC is just a murderer's row of quarterbacks at this point with what they have to deal with on that side of the of the NFL. I will take that he is that he is out of a job, that the Chargers are searching for a new head coach. And if the report, one of the reports I saw today is to believe they're looking at Frank Reich as the offensive coordinator, uh, wouldn't that be a great replacement to help kind of usher in Justin Herbert as the next, one of the next great quarterbacks in the AFC, a guy who knows how to do it, who who's done it with multiple quarterbacks in different locations. I'll take Frank Reich as their offensive coordinator this year, but if they're doing that, just pencil him in as the next head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. It only makes sense. I think that it's really going to come down to the first weekend next year because I think they'll be in the playoffs. Uh, The Raiders are going to need some help, even if they get Brady. I don't know. (laughs) Or Rodgers. Brady rumors are just bizarre. Like San Francisco, San Francisco has three quarterbacks better than Tom Brady, or at least that you'd take for the future. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt too often, but you know, Trey Lance, at least on his upside and Brock Purdy, I mean, he's already playing better football and I, that's not to say historically. Okay. Obviously, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to make any absurd quarterback comp, uh, comparisons like cousins. You want to know, I looked it up on the hall of fame monitor on pro football reference. Here's the comparable quarterbacks to Kirk cousins. I think this is totally fair. Brad Johnson, Jeff Garcia, Trent green, Andy Dalton, and Matt Hasselbeck. Yeah, that sounds right. The highest end of that, if I go up a little bit, is Mark Brunel uh, and Alex Smith and Tony Romo. Like, I think Romo was probably better, but I mean, that's like one of those guys probably better. But only one of those guys you mentioned has gotten or won a Super Bowl. uh, Let's say Brad Johnson. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, didn't you mention Trent Dilfer? And Brad Johnson was a, a really good, solid quarterback who was, yeah. you know, could win games and uh, landed on an all-time great team that won the Super Bowl. So, and we've always thought that that was possible for Cousins, but mm-hmm. Trey Aikman went eleven and four in the playoffs in his career. I mean, <laughs> let's absurd. And and again against all great teams and great teams in the Super Bowl and everything else. So, what are we doing here? Uh, sorry, the hot routes has turned into just like defending the honor of a quarterback I grew up hating (laughs) but but when you watched him do it yeah you respected him for sure so anyway uh back to the los angeles chargers i i think that with brandon staley he deserves another shot at this it is hard to be an nfl head coach it's certainly even harder to do it for the first time and i know this is not his first year but there are early mistakes that get made by coaches that they can learn, they can improve, but something doesn't quite click with him. And, and that's, what's weird. Like you, you sort of struggled to identify it last week when you were ranting about him. And so did I, where there's like a common sense element that goes kind of missed. And yeah. with blowing a 27 point lead, when you are a defensive head coach, I mean, that's kind of a tough case to make for yourself. Like, Oh yeah, we're the, we're like, I'm a defensive guru but we were up 27 with four interceptions uh, and some of them were tip balls and could not close the deal as a defensive head coach. So there's like some of the common sense inexperienced type of stuff that he has to grow from. And I think that they'll have a chance to be there, but probably a 10 win team again, Frank Reich, I think is a tremendous coach. So if he comes in, installs a different offense, I think Justin Herbert has more flaws than some people want to admit maybe, um, and one of those flaws I think is he takes the check down when he doesn't need to a lot. Like he could push it and take more risks down the field, but maybe he'll improve in that area as well. I don't know. Um, but I think that if they lose in the first round next year and they don't have a deep playoff run, they will go with somebody else because it will probably be B 
because of a game management mistake or something like that, or not having a very good defense, which they really haven't since he's arrived. I mean, last year they were one of the worst in the league. And this year I did not think they were daunting. Um, all right, next question. We won't spend that much more time on the chargers, but we had to circle back to it just for you because you have your coach beefs and we'll get to another one of your coach (laughs) beefs as well. Uh, Lamar Jackson did not play and the Ravens lost. How do you think that situation goes? Because even if he was sick and even if he's, you know, didn't come back because the injury did not allow him to come back and he couldn't risk his future. These things cause bad feelings. They cause sour tastes in people's mouths. Now, I've always thought from really day one that the Deshaun Watson contract messed it up for every other team mm-hmm. that's trying to sign a quarterback because they have to give that kind of guaranteed money to make it happen. And if you're Lamar Jackson, you look at Deshaun Watson, you're like, uh, let's see, I've won more. I'm just as good of a quarterback, if not better. And oh, by the way, I don't have any weird stuff off the field with right. massage therapists and so forth. Uh, I didn't sexually harass anyone or whatever else. Um, and I think that that case based on what he made is fair. At the same time, if you're the Ravens, one of the things you've been really good at is just being super prudent with your money. But if you get rid of Lamar Jackson, A, it's going to be heartbreaking to the fan base. And also there's no guarantees. Uh, you don't have to look much farther than the New York Jets to know that there are no guarantees in the draft. He probably meets the standard of a quarterback that's good enough, but he's been injured two years in a row now and they've lost and not made the playoffs or lost in the first round without him. And I think that has to be very concerning to them because it could be like a Randall Cunningham situation where the guy just keeps getting hurt after a while. And that's why the Eagles ultimately ended up moving on from him back in the day. What is your assessment of this situation? How do you think this ends up playing out? Look, there's injuries, as you mentioned, but with how good Lamar Jackson is, I think the Ravens would be astronomically stupid to walk away from Lamar Jackson. Yes, he didn't play, but he also didn't want to get hurt like RG3 did. RG3 came out this weekend and completely agreed with Lamar Jackson not playing and risking his future because it wrecked RG3's career. Now we can debate whether he was a good enough quarterback to begin with, but I mean, second second overall pick, uh, pretty talented in college football, just got injured too early too often and tried to come, tried to rush himself back and couldn't do it, couldn't get fully healthy for the rest of the career and his career ended early because he pushed himself too fast. Lamar Jackson clearly saw that clearly didn't want to do that. I totally agree with him not pushing, pushing himself to get back too early because why would you do that when you're on the verge of signing a massive, massive contract? If you go out there and get injured in the playoffs, that's the last thing you do with this season. Now you're going into the off season, trying to get a new contract and you've got this injury hanging over you. Now, granted, he still does that right now, but I would rather take coming back from an injury rather than, you know, suffering a new one right before the offseason starts. That's going to set you back and set you, make you lose tens of millions of dollars at the negotiating table. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson stays in Baltimore. I think the two sides come together. John Harbaugh is as good of a head coach and player manager as there is. It probably irritated his competitive side a little bit. But he also is going to understand my best chance of winning right now is with Lamar Jackson, whether he has this injury problem or not. He knows, as you said, that there's no guarantees with drafting a high high quarter or a high draft pick quarterback. There's no guarantees in that. You have the guarantee right now in Lamar Jackson if he can stay healthy. I'm going to take that any day of the week over maybe one of these guys at the quarterback position. If you can trade up that high if you're Baltimore, pans out. I'll take Lamar Jackson over that right now because I know he's good. I know he can play in the NFL. It's just you got to work out these injury things right now. So here's the the thing about um, Lamar Jackson for me, that if I try to make the counter argument to what you just said, if I look at Lamar from 2020 to 2022, the last three seasons, he's had two years where he's only played 12 games and his passing has been just okay. And he is, and I'm not saying he can't pass, but it has not been what it was when he was the MVP. That's my point. It's not that he can't play competent quarterback from a pure passing perspective. He's got a 92 quarterback rating, 200 yards a game, 7.3 yards per attempt. Those things are all good. 
the last two years, those numbers, though, if I sort them just by that, the quarterback rating goes down under 90 as a pure passer. And here would be my concern. You could still win a lot of football games with okay passing, and, and they have not done the best at getting him receivers or an offensive coordinator who understands passing. And I know that that's part of it. Um, but how much can you rely on unbelievable running seasons where he's averaging? I mean, in his MVP year, he averaged 80 yards rushing per game. That the last two years has been 63 yards rushing per game. It was 12 carries down to nine carries. It was seven touchdowns down to three touchdowns. He has not been quite as effective or done it quite as much with the running that he did before, even though his yards per carry are still good. He's not doing it quite as much, not gaining quite as many yards and also not throwing the ball as well. If he had the MVP numbers every year, then it would maybe be the easiest choice in the entire world. But I think this does make it a little bit harder and they've won a ton. When he's been in, I think they're 26 and 13 or something over the last three years with him in. They've just won a ton, but you have to do the math if you're them and you have to look around and go, but can we continue to have a dominant defense like we've had? Can we continue to have a dominant offensive line like we've had if this happens or do you get stuck in purgatory? The question has to be asked with the injury throwing it out there. And I think that eventually, usually what ends up happening with these things is the ownership just says, okay, enough, sign him, give right. him whatever he wants. We're going to fold. We're going to you know, go for it. But in this case, it might be, I don't know, it might be one of those things where they look at it and say, we got the best years out of Lamar Jackson and we don't believe, because it's not what you did, it's what you're going to do. We don't believe that he's going to play at this high of a level. Now, to me, that is playing with fire, because if that man goes somewhere else, if he goes to the New York Jets, and it has Garrett Wilson and an offensive line that's stacked with Makai Becton back, Elijah Vera Tucker. And if they, you know, hire a good offensive coordinator and Lamar Jackson gets 50 mil a year, it just goes nuts with a really great young team. They are going to look like the biggest fools in the world. And there is just no guarantee whatsoever that Anthony Richardson or whoever else they draft, or even if they get one, I mean, they don't have a particularly high draft pick. So it's not like you could just replace him. You have to have a really good option. And I'm not sure who that would be, like Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr. Like, are, are these options in comparison to Lamar? So he, to me, is holding a lot of the cards in this. But I also think that if you make the argument against it, I don't think you're a sociopath or anything. Like, sometimes people will bring this up like, yo, ever notice how expensive quarterbacks never really win unless they're like the megastars? Right. I mean, every time someone brings that up, it's like, how dare you? It's Lamar. <laughs> He's the best. I love him. And you're like, okay, but – the numbers of the last three years are not the same as they were before. And then he becomes very expensive. And is um, there a, is there a franchise that you could see more walking away from a star quarterback who has injury issues more than the Ravens with how they've dealt with their roster? As you said, very prudent with spending money. They're incredible at the draft. They pretty much win the draft every year. They just know how to build a roster and continue churning out winning teams. And it doesn't matter who's at quarterback. It feels like it, because they've got John Harbaugh and they've got a solid base around that. It just feels like there's there's no better franchise to handle this kind of a situation than Baltimore. No, I, I totally I totally agree with you. I mean, if there's somebody that's going to do this, it's probably them. It's just that there's only like because of who owns the team and also there's a common sense element to I was talking about with Brandon Staley, like to using like analytics and thinking of like this super hyper efficiency focused type of mindset that sometimes you can go too far. And you know where this happened was Dallas with, um, with Dak Prescott, where they were like, well, we're not really sure. And should we pay him? And then we're going to franchise tag him. And then the man has a great year. And all of a sudden now the price goes up and his cap hit is much worse for them and everything else. And, that made it they made it harder because they overthought it with Dak Prescott. And maybe it's just a little bit overthinking it. Um, I think with Lamar Jackson, if you're not signing him, but there is a case. There is a case. Um, okay, so here's what we're gonna do: the locks of the weekend. Now, again, do not bet on these. We are not good at this, <laughs> and even and even though. The Jags, my Jags, our Jags, America's Jags came back to win that game. Those two ladies at the restaurant, Jags, 
even though they came back to win. Like, don't trust me. These are, for entertainment purposes only, who we think is going to win a divisional round. So who would you like to go with this weekend, Jonathan? Yeah, definitely don't pick me after my lock of the week played out the way it did this last weekend. Uh, I would say Philly routing New York is probably the easy one for the lock dead pick of the week, but I'm going to go with the other game on Saturday. The Chiefs over the Jaguars right now, I believe some of the sports books have it at Kansas City negative eight and a half. Reminds me eight and a half right now. I'm going to go Kansas City over Jacksonville because we've seen in the past teams coming off massive come from behind wit wins and victories and kind of emotional victories like Jacksonville just pulled. It's really hard to get back up the next week and go at it, especially in the playoffs, especially when you're going to a place like Kansas City, one of the most hostile, loud environments that the NFL has to offer. As much as I've love talking about Trevor Lawrence kind of emerging into this talent that we all hoped he would become and Doug Peterson kind of getting the refreshing start for him after how it ended in Philadelphia. I just don't see it happening again against a Kansas city team. That's been so good the past five, six years with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and everything they have to offer there in Kansas city. I'm going to go Kansas city as a lock dead pick of the week. I think uh, that's fair. Yep. And then getting rested and the emotional game, mm-hmm. like teams coming off emotional games, the playoffs, it's always tough. Uh, so of course the Eagles over the giants is like a pretty easy lock of the week, but you know what I'm going to do, Jonathan, I'm going mm-hmm. to troll you with this because last <laughs> week and all season long, you have harassed Mike McCarthy, Yeah, Mike McCarthy for good reason is filing a lawsuit against you for all of the slander this year at the beginning of the year. You're like, they're going to fall apart. Don't worry. It's Mike McCarthy. No, they didn't. And then you were like, they're going to lock dead of the week. I'm picking Tampa Bay. Cause Mike McCarthy, they crushed him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go lock dead pick of the week. Dallas over San Francisco. The defense has an answer. Finally, for Brock Purdy, his <laughs> magical run comes to an end because of Trayvon Diggs, because of Micah Parsons, and because he has a little bit of that playmaker in him, but also a little too much of that playmaker in him at times. <laughs> and I think if there's a team that's going to take the ball away and score a touchdown defensively or whatever, it's going to be the Dallas Cowboys because they have done that all year long. I trust Dak more than I trust a seventh-round rookie, even if he's been marvelous So I am going to go with the Dallas Cowboys as a lock to play the Eagles in the NFC championship. And that is going to, there will be homicides outside of the stadium in Philadelphia before that game, if that ends up happening. So that's, I'm going against you entirely and picking with Mike freaking McCarthy. In my defense, Todd Bowles is a hell of an antidote to collapsing in the playoffs. Todd Bowles head coach is, a hell of an antidote towards playoff collapses. The kicker was trying to give the game to the Buccaneers, but Todd Bowles just kept getting in the way of Tampa Bay. Tom Brady's 46-year-old body couldn't help the Buccaneers anymore. I'm still betting against Mike McCarthy, against the San Francisco 49ers, whose defense is just a unit. They are one of the most physical defenses in the NFL I don't see the Cowboys doing it. Dak Prescott's had questionable performances in the past. Yes, he ran roughshod over the Buccaneers last night. I don't care. It's still the playoffs. It's still Mike McCarthy. My Mike McCarthy hate is still very strong. It's still staying strong. All right, we will see on that one. We have some uh, We have some juice on that one. And real quick, just to um, finish the discussion about Troy Aikman. So I was circling back, <laughs> and I and I looked at – So think about how different, because I just love this matchup, by the way. I mean, this is my favorite game of the weekend. Hands down, it's not even close. And I love that they put it where they put it. This is just just great. Like Sunday afternoon, two teams with amazing defenses that are going to beat the hell out of each other. Uh, In 1993, Steve Young led the NFL in quarterback rating with 101 quarterback rating. And Troy Aikman, and I know it's not a perfect stat, but it's kind of all we have at the moment. Like, you know, they didn't have PFF grades, whatever. Trey Aikman was number two in 1993 with a 99 quarterback rating. They were two of only three quarterbacks, even over 90. And the other guy was John Elway. So I think that that kind of like, and I know, yeah, he had good players around him. And so did, you know, every great quarterback probably ever. And some of it's making great players around you. 
But it's really funny that like, and, and the following season, Troy Aikman is sixth in the league in quarterback rating at 84.9, which would have you on the bench in yes. 2023. <laughs> and the guys ahead of him, Steve Young, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, John Elway, and, and one of those weird Jim Everett seasons. But like, oh no, actually uh, Aikman was tied for fifth. So the only guys ahead of him were Young, Favre, Marino, Elway that season. I mean, that's just like, that's how it was at the time. So when you go back and look and you're like, oh, well, he didn't put up these crazy numbers. That's because teams ran the football way more back in the day. And of course they would um, when they had a lot of leads and things like that. And at the goal line. So uh, that's why, I mean, Emmett Smith got the ball at the goal line every time, but Mm -hmm. their passing game was incredibly efficient. So it's important to remember that he was like ranking. You look at his stats, you're like, man, but he was like, always ranking in the top five and stuff and things like that. So anyway, just uh, to finish off that point, because I think it's fascinating to try to do cross comparisons of between eras and things like Mm -hmm. that. And I don't even know if there's like a Troy Aikman exact comparison with somebody who has a stack team, but doesn't put up the greatest stats, but is maybe, you know, I don't know, like always winning a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard because the guys who are the top quarterbacks now are just animals. They're just yeah. absolute freaks. Josh Allen, like what? It's it's like windy that and Buffalo's quarterback. Cold. He throws it like 900 yards through the air to Stefan Diggs. I mean, it's just, stu- you know, stuff like that where these guys are insanely athletic. That wasn't always the case back in the day. So back in the know, day, I a guy that size it. played defensive line, not quarterback. <laughs> it's really true. It's really true. I mean, maybe, you know, like in terms of like having a, like a moxie and a leadership element, and a pocket quarterback with playmaking, it's probably Joe Burrow. If Joe yeah. Burrow had like an insane running game, but you know, Joe Burrow is like not a running quarterback necessarily. So maybe that's it. Anyway, I like that one. Fun times. We will have, uh, maybe we'll have to make some sort of wager on San Francisco and Dallas because <laughs> of this between us, and we'll report back. So appreciate everybody who watched. Of course, we do this every week. And if you are a Vikings fan watching the Purple Insider podcast, is going all in on the off season. So make sure you go check that out wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be here every Tuesday night. And uh, I'm thinking that we should do some more live streams throughout the off season as well and take fan questions and things like that. So we'll plan on that. So if you're listening over uh, the audio version on the podcast, make sure you subscribe on YouTube as well. So thanks, Jonathan. And we will have a fun weekend of football. See you later.